Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Fanalyst podcast, coming at you very consistently at the moment. Uh, the big story of last week, Juan Manuel Serendulo, uh, the 19-year-old from Argentina, was ranked outside the top 300. Uh, he has won the title in Cordoba. We'll be talking about that today, as well as 21-year-old Alexei Popirin winning his debut title over in Singapore. And also uh, David Goffan winning the third title this week. As ever, Marcus Ali joins me to talk about it. Uh, Marcus, how are you on this fine Monday morning? Very well, thank you. Very enthused by last night's result. We've had Juan Martín Del Potro of Argentina. Now we've got Juan Manuel Thurundolo. Um, Yeah, it's definitely going to be exciting to see how this guy gets on. We go from three ATP Tour events to two this week, so... We're going to have to streamline our attention a little bit, but um, no, it's definitely going to be interesting. And yeah, the, the relentless pace of the tour continues and uh, I'm all here for it. Yeah, so Mark has touched on it just before. Two more tournaments this week uh, in Rotterdam and Buenos Aires. We'll get onto them uh, in due course, uh, but we'll need to round up the action from last week. Three tournaments uh, coming from all across the globe uh, Singapore in Southeast Asia, Cordoba in South America, and Montpellier in Europe, uh, and, and all different services. So lots of variety last week, but the main story, as we touched upon before, 19-year-old Juan Manuel Serondolo. Um, I'm very much hoping I get the pronunciation right, but I, f- I know Marcus is a little bit better with uh, the sort of uh, more Spanish-Latin uh, pronunciations than I am. Um, he beat Albos, uh, Albert Ramos, beg your pardon, in the final, uh, winning four out of five of his matches in three sets. You know, 19-year-old really showing that he can... Uh, really be pushed and still get over the line. Uh, he started with a straight sets win uh, against Tiago Saboff Wild before going three sets with Kate Manovic, Montero, Correa, and Ramos. All very good wins, to be honest. There's not really a win there that I look at and I think, you know, I, you, you do get this sort of 250 matches when you do just sort of get like a, a sort of unknown player just kind of popping up and it's just sort of like an easy bypass maybe. Um, but, you know, that's five really, really good wins for him. Playing this week in Buenos Aires, as far as I can see, uh, he hasn't... Pulled. Well, as far as we are aware, he is facing Federico Del Bonis on the second. Just had a little bit of confusion there with uh, Serendolo having a brother, 23-year-old brother, a little bit senior to him, uh, whose first name I've forgotten. Uh, but both of them sort of coming onto the scene in the last couple of weeks. But sorry, firstly, uh, let's talk about this week, Marcus. Um, I know you got to see a little bit of Juan Manuel playing. Uh, I wasn't fortunate enough to this week, but sort of what's your take from him? What sort of player does he look like? And, and you know, which win this week? I, I assume it's going to be Albert Ramos, but, you know, that which wins in there really, really stand out to you as, as big ones? Um, to me, obviously, the final Albert Ramos Vinolas, 33-year-old experienced campaigner that's got plenty of titles to his name. He's made a Masters final. Um, you know, he's mixed it with some of the best players in the game in, in the last few years. Um, so, yeah, obviously that one stands out. But an up-and-coming player in Miamir Kecmanovic, who's got ATP Tour title last year on, on a clay court 
So that was a really impressive win for me. Um, but also you mentioned about him going to three sets a lot. I think that shows a lot of courage for the player. I did... I didn't see any of the final. It was quite quite an unsociable uh, British time. But I did see quite a bit, the majority of his match against Federico Correa in the semi-final. And he won the first set comfortably in that one and then ended up throwing away the second. And I think he went a breakdown in the third set as well. And it was more a case that Correa looked the fitter player and he looked like he could sustain the level for longer. Thorindolo was looking to shorten the points in that second set and it ended up going awry for him. But yeah, just having that self-belief and, and determination to manage to swing it round in that third set really speak, speaks volumes to the player that I think we've got on our hands now. Um, also looking to the final and just the scoreline, losing that uh, second set 6-2 to Ramos. You'd have to think that all the momentum would have been with the Spaniard going into that deciding set, who, of course, was a heavy favourite going into the match to begin with. Um, but Thurindolo was able to win it 6-2 comfortably and, yeah, lift the title. Incredible. I don't think I've ever seen a player ranked as low as 335 win an ATP Tour title. It really is really is great to see. Um, he's up to 181 in the world as a result, which I think is about 20 or 30 places behind his brother, Francisco. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they both come up. Um, he's still a young player in his own right as well. So it'll be interesting to see what the two brothers can do. You know, we've seen Misha and Sasha Zverev on the ATP tour together. Maybe we can see the Thorindolo brothers as well. Um, but no, I mean, going forward, as you mentioned, after some confusion with the draws, um, on the relative platforms that we check, we are sure that he's playing in, in Buenos Aires this week. And I'd back him to beat Federico Del Bonis if he's all right physically. You know, it would have been probably the most uh, physical strain he's been under in his whole career so far. I'm pretty, we're pretty sure he didn't play an ATP tour level match until last week. So against another experienced campaigner in Federico Del Bonis, that'll be a, a difficult match. But if he can show the form that he's shown in the last week, then he, he's definitely got enough to get over the line. Um, Cordoba was a really exciting tournament to me. Obviously, Albert Ramos beat Diego Schwartzman, the top tenor and, and top seed. So that shows what kind of form he was in. So no small tasks to beat him in the final. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, a new player we can think about in this up and coming conversation. Yeah, quite remarkable, actually, just looking at uh, Sorindo's record here. Prior to playing in, in um, Cordoba, the, the guy had only ever won... I think one match uh, on the Challenger Tour. Yeah, beating um, a player that I, I haven't heard of, uh, ranked 767. That's his only win on the Challenger Tour, another couple of losses. But only in the last year, as far as the um, sort of flash score history goes on him, um, having only... Oh, no, uh, he's got um, <clears throat> one other win. But my point is, is, is he's not actually... Uh, won much on the Challenger Tour. He hasn't really gone around too much. He's not even won a Futures title. So to suddenly pop up and 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 win an ATP Tour 250 title is is quite remarkable. And like you say, it, um, I can't remember someone that low down winning an event. I know he wasn't ranked as low, but we had Thiago Sabofield winning a title around this time last year, I, I, forgive me, but I can't actually remember which clay court title it was, but it was a, a clay court 250 that Tiago Sabofoyle won. And um, 
I think that's the main thing for Serendina now is he's got to sort of make sure that he can come and back this up now, which I think Sabre Foyle, we would both agree, perhaps failed to do a little bit, still a very young player. Um, Serendolo playing much more on a clay court. He's only played one hard court tournament uh, within the, the last year. Uh, so that obviously is going to be interesting to see. Is he is he He's now in the top 200, will be expected to be playing uh, some more hardcore challenges throughout the year when they come about. Uh, and, and we'll maybe see him uh, up again at sort of 250 level in the, in the coming months. But um, yeah, an amazing win for him. I think we will forgive him if he does lose to Federico Delbonis tomorrow, as you say. Uh, a very experienced campaigner is the, the phrase I think he used. He's been around a very long time and he... Uh, is a very, very handy player on a clay court, especially um, compatriot to Serondolo. Um, and, and, and and there's always the possibility that, you know, you'll see a lucky loser come in last minute. You, you cannot quite often see that when a, a player wins the title almost a, a day before uh, or two days before, in this case, playing. Um, but, you know, fantastic from him winning in qualifying, three wins in qualifying. That's eight straight wins for him. Uh, didn't drop a set in qualifying although obviously being pushed. So, you know, showing this week he can win matches comfortably and he can win them un uncomfortably, if that's a, 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 a phrase. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, really, really impressed from the 19-year-old. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how far he can go. We've got many young players doing well on the, the tour at the moment, and this is just yet another one uh, we can look at in those next-gen rankings and sort of see, come the end of the year, how, how he can fare. Uh, in, in in those next gen sort of proceedings and, and, and see if he can challenge those those new guys coming up. Um but yeah obviously we won't get too far ahead of ourselves because we haven't seen too much from him yet. It is just um only on, on a clay court so far we'll need to sort of get an idea of what he's like elsewhere. Um Marcus I, I don't know if you have anything else you want to say on Juan uh I was about to say Martin Juan Manuel Serendulo. Um yeah, I think um, at this age, it's fine to see him play an extremely high percentage of clay court events. You know, when he's just making his way on the tour, I think we've seen Kasparud slowly transfer his form onto a hard court in the last sort of year or so. I mean, nothing nothing too outstanding, but we've seen him, him definitely be able to transfer his form from a clay court onto improving his, his game on, on the hard courts in particular. Um, so yeah, I'm not too worried about that, especially at only 19, maybe at 21, 22, we can start to really pass judgment on whether he's got the, the hard court game. But I think, yeah, if he can continue his form on a clay court, I, I don't see how a player can go from an absolute world beater on a clay court, not saying that he is, but if he was to continue this form and then just go onto a different surface and the level drop too disastrously, um, so, yeah, it'll be, be interesting to see. I think it helps him definitely that, obviously, Buenos Aires, I know Argentina is a massive country. I'm not entirely sure on the geography, but Cordoba, same country. Hopefully, it's not too far distance to travel before this match today. Although, yeah, I'm not really sure it's a big country. Um, but, yeah, if it was in, if he was playing, I don't know, somewhere else like Ecuador or something, maybe that would be a bit more of a stretch. Um, but, no, yeah, so we're going to... For me, I'll reserve my judgment on whether I think he can mix it on all services for a few years. He's only 19. Um, you know, we've seen Carlos Alcaraz 
win a lot of challenges on a, on a clay court and sustain a decent ranking from doing that. So yeah, I think on the, from the short, on a, on a short term sort of scale season, um, I'm happy to see him just mixing it and uh, trying to make the latter stages of consistent um, clay court tournaments. Yeah, no, completely fair analysis. And it's at tennis fanalist if you want to let us know uh, how far Cordova is away from Buenos Aires, because I'm not going to look it up. Uh, interesting stat here, actually. Uh, Serondolo becoming the fifth lowest ranked player to win an ATP Tour title since 1990. I know that's a 31-year period now. Uh, but, you know, I, I would have thought he maybe would have been a little bit higher up that list uh, of, of lowest ranked players to win an ATP Tour title. I can't really think of one in recent history, but then I, I guess, you know, some of them could be players that have been a lot higher and then their rankings just fallen because they've missed times for injury. I mean, thinking about it, you know, Murray, when he won the Antwerp title a couple of years ago, I don't know where his ranking would have been at that point. Um, you know, the, the, so... Yeah, uh, but yeah, the fifth lowest ranked player to win an ATP Tour title since 1990 and the youngest Argentine uh, to win an ATP Tour title since Guillermo Correa in 2001. So we will go on to Montpellier now, uh, the in indoor tournament uh, in France. That was won by the uh, well, then World 15. I haven't seen uh, where his ranking has gone up to now uh, at that point probably not gone up too far, uh, but David Goffin beating uh, Roberto Bautista. A great comeback win, actually, uh, winning 5-7, 6-4, 6-2 after two hours and five minutes. It was uh, Goffin's first title since 2017, uh, which surprised me a little bit. I, I, I would have thought in the last few years, Goffin, being as a consistent player that he is, uh, has has won a few more titles, but first title since the Rakuten Japan Open uh, in 2017. Um, I, I think it's an outstanding win, actually. Bautista had looked really, really impressive uh, th this week. And uh, I think, I, I know Goffin, it, it, he's a hard player to sort of talk about the bigger picture. We've just been talking about the bigger picture with Serrano and sort of where we're hoping to see him go. I think with Goffin, it's, he, he has been a hard player to do that in recent years. I know when we did him on, on the guest, the player, a few months back, he uh, has been ranked sort of 10 to 30 since 2014. That's an amazing stat in itself. But um, we, we haven't quite seen him uh, progress maybe in, in the bigger tournaments like the, the Slams and the Masters. Um, I think the, the biggest standout week I can remember from him is uh, getting to the final of the ATP Tour finals in the O2. But uh, looking at this match, uh, a, a very impressive win from David Goffin. Um, you know, I, I will ask you the bigger pitch question as well. You know, is there a, a cause for Goffin at the age of 30? You know, he's not too old. Um, do you think we could see him maybe trying to push on a little bit? And he's really in those last couple of years now, probably of his career, where you could consider him at the, the prime age. So maybe if he does really want to challenge to get into that top 10, I think he has been in the top 10. I think nine might be his career high ranking. But, uh, you know, would you like to see him really trying to push back into that top 10 or, or do, you, do you not think that will happen? Uh, he's definitely got the ability in in his current guys, I think. But I, I do think there's a, there's better players in and around him in the rankings than there has been for a lot a lot of this run that he's had. 
Um, he's gone up just one place to 14 in the rankings, which winning a 250 isn't too surprising. Um, you know, that a lot of players with a lot of points in and around that level. Um, but nice, no, it's, it's definitely a, a really impressive win. Um, you know, you could say just winning a 250 for a player of his ranking maybe isn't that significant, but I think this one definitely is. Um, he had a he had a poor 2020 by his his high usual high standards for sure. Um, I know we both fancied Bautista a good to win this match. Um, so yeah, it's a really good comeback from Goffin, and I think whether he can push back into the top 10 I'm not sure but I think maintaining this level if he could do that for the next couple of years I thought you know I'd see that as success for a, for a player with the ability of of David Goffin um yes yeah, really really impressive win um I just we talk about the consistency and, and and we're hinting towards that being why he's there in the rankings so I think this this win this extra 250 points is probably quite important to stop him sliding down towards the sort of thirties in, in the rankings. Um, like we've seen the likes of Marin Cilic, I know that's not a great direct comparison, but, or Borna Chorich get up to that ranking and then sort of fall away in recent years. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, I'll definitely give him some more belief because 2020 was probably one of the more concerning years of David Goffin we've seen in, in a long time. Um, so yeah, whether he'll push top 10 or, or any higher than 14 is, I can't really see it, to be honest. But sustaining a ranking around sort of 15 is a very, very good achievement for a player like David Goffin. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, when, when players win titles, it's probably only fair that we sort of talk about it in the same way. You know, we'll, we'll talk about the bigger picture for Sorendolo uh, and we'll go on to speak about it for, for Poppy Rin. And, you know, with respect to David Goffin, he, he is only 30. That surprises me a little bit. You know, I, I would have thought he was maybe a year or two older than that and has got some years left in him. So he'll, you know, he's, he's quite active on social media, Goffin, actually. I, I see him uh, for some reason a long time back. Of what I've been following is um, Facebook page and he's very um, active on it and he seems like a very, very determined player. So I think he'll be very much hoping that he can return to that top 10. So moving on to Singapore, uh, Alexei Popyrin, as we said, uh, winning the title there. It's a debut title for him, uh, was seeded at 114. Okay, just after some clarification, rising of 82. Um yeah, beat Alexander Bublik, who I was surprised to find out uh, is zero from four in finals now. Uh, I made the mistake of saying in the last pod that he had not made a final before. He's now made four, um, in fact, and uh, he has lost all four of them. In a bit of a, a an unstructured match, uh, Bublik winning the first set 6-4, and then Poppy Ring going on to win the next two sets, only dropping two games, uh, winning 4-6, 6-12. 6-2 uh, in just, just over an hour, actually, uh, about 80 minutes uh, for a three-set match. Very odd match. I saw the end of this one. Um, Bublik, he's a very, very unpredictable player. He was sort of double-faulting quite a bit towards the end of that match and uh, playing a lot of questionable drop shots, but Poppy Rin stayed quite uh, calm and, and, and dealt with him really impressively, I think. Uh, so, you know, an, another young player there, uh, getting a title this week, not quite as young as Sir Andalou, and he's been around a little bit now, Poppy Red in the last couple of years. You know, we, we've got to 
learn a bit more about him and, and, and see him on the top stage. But we did say in the last podcast, he's perhaps stalled a little bit in the last couple of years and hasn't really pushed on so much. But I think this is a really good starting point for him to finally get a, get a title now. Uh, well, having not actually been in a final before that. So, you know, really impressive for the, the young Australian. Um, what's your main take from, from this week for Alexei Popyrin? Um, I'm, I'm kind of relieved that we've seen him build on a positive Australian Open for the first time in a few years. Obviously, he beat David Goffin at that tournament in, in five sets this year. So to, to build on that with this win is, is very, very encouraging. Um, as for Bublik, when you see that scoreline, you think he might have been struggling physically, but having watched um, the closing exchanges of that match, it just seemed like Poppy ran out a bit more in the tank, to be honest. Um, yeah, Bublik... Yeah, questionable. I mean, one of the key strengths of his game is that unpredictability. So, but I feel like, yeah, Poppy Rin, I'm not sure. Maybe it was just a bit a bit of his style um, that Bublik wasn't really wasn't really choosing the right moments to throw in his, his surprise shot selection, but um, it, it really didn't work. Um, he, he got a, a little foothold in that deciding set. I think he got it to two all, but then Poppy Rin just absolutely ran away with it. Um, so, yeah, su- surprising really, because given Bublik's ranking compared to Poppy Rin before the match and came in, probably came in as the favourite for from the start of that of that tournament in, in Singapore. But no, really encouraging to see Poppy Rin go on and win it. I know I predicted Bublik to win the final in straights. You correctly went for Poppy Rin in, uh, w- with it going the distance. Um, and now reaching 82 in the rankings is, is, is important for him. I think he probably won't have to qualify for as many events as maybe that he's had to in previous years. So, yeah, I think, obviously, the unheard of Thurundalo winning in Cordoba might take the, the headlines away from Poppy Rin a little bit this week. I know we were, we've definitely been, been saying that, be, mainly because it came as a lot more of a shock. I don't necessarily think that's too much of a bad thing. Poppy Ring can just sort of carry on going on about his business with his maiden tour title, not um, sort of inflating any expectations of himself or or from outside of his of his tennis circles. So, yeah, really, really impressive win. Obviously, we spoke about the win against Marin Cilic um, in the last episode, which was, yeah, very, very impressive. And yeah, he's, I said he won five out of five tie breaks in, in that tournament. So yeah, he's clearly got uh, a very composed head on, on young shoulders. Um, and if he can continue his consistency, which we haven't seen him put together yet in his career, then we've definitely got an exciting player on our hands. And I think hopefully this title can be the trigger that sees him really put that together over a, a longer period of time. Yeah, I think... Um... It was very interesting to see his his post match interview. Poppy really did, as you say, he did seem. Um, we you, you say he seems like quite a, a calm and composed character on court, and he did seem like that afterwards. He seemed he, he was very um, level headed. Didn't sort of um, you know get get too carried away with it. Sort of dedicated the win uh, to his family afterwards, um, saying that they'd made sort of a lot of sacrifices for him. But um, yeah, I think it, he's a player that I really really want to see progressing. As for Bublik, I do question, uh, you know, he's got into the top 50 now. He's a a consistent, becoming quite a consistent player on the tour. 
But I, I do question how much further he can go playing the way that he does. Uh, he's the sort of player that I think can, on his day, he could be the sort of player who knocks the top 10 player out at a Grand Slam in the first round or something, sort of um, surprised everyone. But he's not really a, a player who I think with, with this game style could really push too high and become a consistent player. I mean, I mean, you might disagree with that. Well, I don't mean become a consistent player. He, he is a consistent player, but I mean sort of like a, a consistent top 30 player, perhaps. Uh, I, I personally don't see his game style as, as sustainable. And I think he's got to really work on on some other things. He sort of, sometimes he hits shots and he doesn't really, it doesn't look like he knows what he's going to hit until he actually does it. Um, and he's very, he's very, very relaxed on court as well. I find you, you see him, he can get frustrated at himself. But uh, after the, the loss yesterday, he almost was sort of just swaggering around a little bit. Um, you know, it was nice to see him laughing a bit with uh, Poppy Rin. Uh, afterwards, uh, he, but he seemed very cool and collected in in his press conference, uh, in his post match interview. And I, I think when you've lost your fourth final in a row, I, I kind of see you want to be in agony. Um, I, I don't. The, the, it's kind of a, a weird thing to say, but you know, I, I don't really want to see you looking calm and relaxed and chilled, which is kind of what he was. Um, but I think that's just a sort of a testament to to the man that he is, and and maybe he'll. Uh, try and change for the better in terms of that sort of unpredictable playing nature uh, that he has. Perhaps he, he will try and work on some bits of his game to, to move on. But uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll let you come back on, on that, Marcus. But uh, I'm, I'm just maybe a little bit concerned that uh, Bubik hasn't really got the, the game style to be considered yet as a real sort of threat to the top 30. Yeah, I don't think we should... Um, deemed the loss in the final. I don't think we should let it take away from the good week that he did have. Um, obviously, it was a disappointing loss. And yeah, I definitely expected him to win the title. I think he's still he's still improving nicely. Um, you know, he's, he's around his career high at the moment, 46 or somewhere. That's where it was last week, somewhere around there. So... I agree with what you're saying about sustainability. You know, there's a reason why we don't see many players like this at the top level because the methods, that the the more traditional method and and the the greater thinkers um, usually end up making uh, higher higher levels than than players like Bublik, who I feel like not too dissimilarly from Nick Kyrgios does sort of walk out on court and think back his own ability to sort of orchestrate the points that will win him the match. Um, essentially, I I agree with you. I, it doesn't come across like he thinks about it too much. You know, he does seem to, yeah, you know, serve and volley here, try and finish the point here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's a great player to watch. I also think he'll be a player that will get a lift from crowds coming back. He does seem to have that sort of entertaining nature about him. Um, you know, he likes to get it going after hitting a winner um so i think that's that's something that we can we can wait to see um as the year progresses keeping our fingers crossed obviously um so yeah i, I still feel pretty good about about public maybe not this year to push the top 30 but i think he's definitely on a on an upward trajectory in, in terms of his career as a whole but maybe as as he matures we'll see maybe a new coach come in and um he'll start playing in a 
maybe a, a more mature way. I don't know if that's the right word, but it does seem he does still seem quite raw um, as a player and, and in, in his style. And Poppy Rin really gave him a lesson in those last two sets. So, yeah, plenty to work on for him. But, you know, we, we've still got an exciting player. And, uh, yeah, probably the Kazakhstan number one for a, a very long time. Yeah, I think um, the, the concerning thing for me is that, you know, when you've been in four finals, you're playing a 21-year-old in his debut final, um, you know, two years to your junior. It's a little bit concerning when the 21-year-old who's playing his first final looks like the more experienced and, and more rounded and mature player. Um, but, you know, but perhaps I'm, I'm, I'm just going into a little bit too much and, and maybe Bublik will sort of prove me wrong. Um, as I say, I think he's the sort of player who on his day uh, if everything goes right for him, you know, he's the sort of player you could be seeing knock Rafael Nadal out at Wimbledon. You know, you know that's not a prediction, uh, just to point that out. But, you know, he's the sort of player that has it in his artillery to do that. I just question sort of the, the long term, you know, he, he can come out with those big performances and big results, but he can, can he come out of it on a consistent level over sort of a, a few months and we see him uh, really progressing but yeah um anyway that's sort of the roundup of the three week uh the three weeks the three tournaments that we've had this week uh some really exciting new winners and of course the uh the very experienced and rounded david goffan uh also getting his name in there alongside uh two names who perhaps we wouldn't have expected as much at the beginning of the week lifting titles uh we have two more tournaments this week uh we continue with the 250 tournaments over in South America with Buenos Aires, uh, as we mentioned earlier, that going on this week. Uh, but also going to the ATP Tour 500 circuit uh, in Rotterdam. Uh, well, actually, one of my favourite tournaments of the year outside of the, the Masters. I've watched quite a bit of Rotterdam in the um, the past. So I remember seeing Dominic Team at Rotterdam quite a few years ago. I think it was the first or second, it was the second time I think I'd seen him play. And I remember that was the first time I was really impressed with of how he was playing um so yeah and it's a really good lineup this year at rotterdam so we're going to start with rotterdam uh, i'll go through the uh, main players you've got daniel medvedev the australian open runner-up topping the draw so instantly there showing you the levels of, of quality we're going to have at this tournament, despite it not being quite as high as at a Masters event. Stefano Sitsabas high off of that big win against Rafael Nadal at the Australian Open. He is the second seed. Uh, Andre Rublev also there. Both David Goffin and Roberto Bautista are good, fresh off of that Montpellier final. They're both playing this week, as far as we can still see on the draw, um, whether sort of one of them, or both of them pull out at some point because, you know, that they are in their more senior years, having played a lot of matches uh, last week. And I don't know the specific rules that various tournaments have, but obviously they've got to uh, quickly travel from Montpellier to uh, Rotterdam. Uh, and, and I don't know how sort of the, the COVID checks and everything go with that. And also Alexander Zverev uh, is the number three seed uh, and, and Felix Auger, alias Seam as well. So very much a sort of... Um, I won't use the phrase next gen because we, I know both me and Marcus sort of turn our noses when people start saying that about players such as uh, Zverev and Medvedev because they have sort of been around uh, a little bit now. Zverev actually still kind of a bit, quite a bit nearer that uh, that next gen age. But uh, yeah, so as 
normal we'll sort of go through our, our four quarterfinals. Uh, I will let Marcus uh, go first on Rotterdam. Uh, so, Marcus, if you want to sort of walk us through your quarterfinals and, and how you see this tournament going. Yeah, first, um, just on those two players in David Goffin and Roberto Bautista are good. I think they do have big banana skins in the first round, so I've actually got them both to lose. Um, Bautista are good as Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, an impressive young Spaniard. And David Goffin as Jean-Leonard Struff, who is a quite an inconsistent player, but when he shows his best form, I think is, is definitely capable of, of beating Goffin should he not be physically 100%. Um, but yeah, just to run through my quarterfinals, at the top of the draw, I've got Daniil Medvedev versus Felix Auger-Aliassime. I have the 20-year-old Canadian to beat Alex Dimonor on the on on his way to this uh, quarterfinal, which will be a, an interesting match. I'm sure we'll see those two play quite a lot in uh, in the years to come. Obviously, Auger-Aliassime with a much bigger serve than the Australian, but the Australian player possibly more agile. Um, he's got a Bit of, he's a little bit in the David Goffin, Roberto Bautista, a good mould. So that, that could be a, definitely a, a good match to watch if it does materialise. Then the second quarterfinal, I've got an all-American affair of Tommy Paul versus Riley Opelka. I have Tommy Paul to beat Sasha Zverev and Lorenzo Sonigo on the way to this quarterfinal, which is probably my boldest prediction of the week. Um, I've just... There isn't too much to base it off, to be honest. Uh, there hasn't been too many tournaments this season to try and base it off, but Zverev at 500 level doesn't tend to be that dominant of a player. Um, so, yeah, I've gone for the American on this one. He hasn't started the year too well, but I feel like he's he's due a little run. Uh, then the second, the third, sorry, quarterfinal I hope this one materialises is the exciting match that would be Ugo Umber versus Andre Rublev. I've got Andre Rublev to put Andy Murray out in the second round. And then at the bottom of the draw, I've got Stan Vavrenka, the 35-year-old, against Stefanos Tsitsipas. Um, yes, Tsitsipas being the second seed. So, yeah, I've just got him to, to make his way to the quarterfinal to, to meet up with Stan, which, of course, if Stan can bring his best game, could be an epic match. Yeah, I should have sorry, should have mentioned actually when going through that lineup that Andy Murray playing at Rotterdam after making his return to the tour last week, uh, losing to Igor Gerasimov. He will face Robin Harsey, the fellow wildcard in the first round. Um, we both got Andy Murray to win that match, but obviously that that second round match, uh, potential second round match against Andre Rublev, uh, are going to be a big big ask for the three time Grand Slam champion. Uh, okay, so if I just take you through my quarterfinals, um, just quickly to say I also have Goffin and Bautista Agu both to go out in the first round. Um, then, uh, sorry, just clicking. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, the first quarterfinal, I have got Daniel Medvedev to face Felix Auger-Aliassime as well. Um, but I'd, what I would say is I do actually think Daniel Medvedev uh, has a drawer of banana skins at the moment. You know, it's I have got him to to make the final. I haven't actually got him to win that, uh, to win it. I will uh, uh, reveal now. But I was looking at his first three matches that I have been having. Dusan Lajevic, uh, Borna Koric and Felix Auger-Aliassime. And actually, uh, I can see him losing any one of them. Uh, I think they're all very... Uh, matches where it could definitely be considered 
that Medvedev could lose that. I, Dusan Lajovic has definitely got a chance against him in the first round. Lajovic, a very strong player uh, on an indoor court as well, uh, will feel sort of at home with, with his game style. So, yeah, anyway, uh, I've got Medvedev to beat Ojeda Seaman in that quarterfinal. Uh, the second quarterfinal, uh, like you, I've gone for a risk, but I have gone for a different uh, lineup. I haven't gone for the Americans. I've actually got both Americans to lose in the first round. Uh, and I've got those two players to that I had beating them to get to the quarterfinal in Lorenzo Senego against Marton Fuksovic's uh, Martin Fuksovic's a player that uh, I like quite a, uh, quite a lot to watch. Uh, very um, so hard hitting, um, great ground strokes uh, from the Hungarian, and I, I do think a player actually who hasn't quite lived up to where I think he could be. I think he's still only really 27, 28. I haven't got his, his age to hand. He's not a sort of in the latter stage of his career, so definitely still a, a long way to go for him. But I, I do feel that. He could be, you know, he, he maybe should be kicking on a bit more than we have seen him. Uh, he's looked good in qualifying, though, uh, qualified for this tournament. Um, but yeah, I've actually got him to face uh, Lorenzo Senego in the second quarter final. Then uh, the next one, the same as you, Hugo Umber against Andre Rublev. Can't really see anyone in their parts of the draw getting in their way. I mean, if Andy Murray turns up, he can be a, be a hard match for anyone. But I, I do think Andre Rublev will be too much to ask. Uh, then the last quarterfinal, I uh, have actually got Karen Hatchinoff uh, to face Stefano Tsitsipas. Bit of a risk going for Hatchinoff. I do think um, whenever you go for Hatchinoff, it is a bit of a risk. He's he's sort of stuttered a little bit over the last few years, considering sort of where we did see him sort of at the age of, of 21, 22. Uh, but I do think he'll get the better of uh, Stan Mavrinka. Uh, it's a very enticing first round match, actually, him against Mavrinka. Uh, and, and Cameron Norrie, the qualifier, um, British qualifier, of course, could actually be quite a tough ask in the second round as well. But uh, yeah, Karen Hatchinoff to beat Stefano Sitsipas. And then I will just look further down my draw before I pass it back to Marcus. Uh, I've got an all-Russian final of Daniel Medvedev against Andre Rublev. Um, Rublev, not a good record at all against Medvedev, uh, not actually winning a set against him in about four matches. But I have gone for Rublev to beat Medvedev, not on the fact that I think he will beat Medvedev, but I kind of just feel, I feel a little bit safer about Rublev getting to the final than I do about Medvedev. I think Rublev's draw is much kinder than Medvedev's. As I said a couple of minutes ago, I do think Medvedev could quite easily go out to any of those players early on. I wouldn't be surprised to see him do so. Um, so I've kind of put Rublev to win more as sort of just a default thinking that uh, he's a bit more likely to be there. Um, so yeah, Marcus, uh, looking down your draw, what have you got? Yeah, fair enough. Um, we've got the same final, but I've opted for Daniel Medvedev. I think, you know, take away one match and he's still in the form of his life. And yeah, although they are tricky first first few matches, I think Borna Chorich isn't the player that he was a few years ago. He doesn't pose the same threat. I mean, saying that now, uh, I wouldn't be completely gobsmacked if he did beat Medvedev. However, you know, he should come in as a strong favourite for that match. The Orje Aliasim or Alex de Menor match, if, should he make it there, is a big banana skin. But I think if he can get through that, then then, then I'll back him to win the tournament, really. Um, yeah, Rublev, I think, yeah, beat Tsitsipas in, a, in a, quite a few matches last year. I think he definitely beat him in the final of Hamburg, which was on a clay court that suited Tsitsipas a little bit more. Now we're in the indoor hard courts, which suits Rublev more, probably. 
So, yeah, I feel confident about him getting to the final. And then, yeah, Medvedev to win the title. Just on your Karen Hatchinov prediction to get to the quarterfinal, it's a bold one. You know, he's got to come good at some point. I, I put Ka- Karen Hatchinov in the kind of younger version of uh, Grigor Dimitrov kind of category of he'll turn it on at some points, but a lot of the time he won't. And I think Stan Vavrenka is a very tough first round match for him and could take a lot out of him. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's sidetracking Medvedev to beat Rublev in the final for me. Okay, yeah, very interesting. Uh, that tournament kicking off uh, this afternoon, uh, midday actually. So actually, at the time of recording, uh, only in an hour's time, you've got uh, Cam Norrie, the Brit, facing Nikolai Bazalashvili, and Andy Murray will play in the evening. What I like about Rotterdam is, uh, unlike a lot of the European tournaments, it does tend to go on quite late. Uh, the fruits of its Opelka match, uh, predicted to start at eight this evening uh, and that's possibly a match that I'll be watching later because uh, that would be quite big in terms of who does the better out of Marcus and I we get quite competitive with our predictions uh, so just lastly uh, looking at the uh, Buenos Aires 250 draw always a bit harder to call I think these uh, clay court 250s uh, I'll go through my uh, quarterfinals first. A bit of a weird one in the first quarterfinal. Uh, I've gone for a, it's a bit of a bold pick, considering I don't actually know who I've picked to get uh, two rounds in. But the first quarterfinal, I have Diego Schwartzman to face Qualifier 2. Uh, qualifier 2 has a, a nice, kind first match round against Facundo Diaz Acosta. Not a player that I'm uh, too familiar with. Uh, but he's a wild card. And then uh, I, either Francis Tiafo or Bagnes in the second round. I think Bagnes uh, will be probably feeling it a bit physically from his week last week. Uh, played very well and, and a player that I kind of, I'm, I don't expect to be too consistent after the, the good week that he had. And Tiafo not really a, a, a clay court player. Uh, the second quarterfinal, I have Thiago Montero to face... Um, uh, sorry, I've got him to face Marco Cecinato, uh, the Novak Djokovic conqueror of Roland Garros, I think maybe 2017, possibly, maybe 2016, around then. Uh, third quarterfinal, I've got Juan Ignacio Londero to face Federico Correa. So uh, I'm actually putting a lot of the seeded players to go out early here. Those two quarterfinals that I've just said, uh, all four of those players are unseeded. Uh, and likewise, got uh, Dominic Kopfer to make the last quarterfinal and he will face uh, Christian Garin. I've got the second seed. Yeah, actually uh, not too um, different in, in this tournament. I haven't gone for anonymous qualifier to make the quarterfinal though. Um, although there are some strong qualifiers in the draw, it has to be said, you've got the likes of Daniel Walkmeyer, Jaime Munar in that last round of qualifying getting underway probably as as we speak, or very soon. Um, but I've got Diego Schwartzman to face Francis Tiafo in that first quarterfinal. I think, yeah, I think he can get past Bagnis and hopefully whoever this qualifier materialises to be. Then the second one, I've got Miamir Kecmanovic uh, to face Marco Cecchinato. So you had the Italian. Um, yeah, I think you had Tiago Montero maybe to beat Kecmanovic. I've gone, gone for the Serbian, um, 21-year-old who is experiencing a little bit of poor form, but I think playing week in, week out will probably help him um, ride away from from that sort of drop-off. 
Then the third quarter final, I've got Juan Ignacio Londero, like you, definitely a, despite him being 90 in the world, he's definitely a player that we both rate on a clay court. And I've got him to face Benoit Paire, Frenchman, 31 year old in the uh, in, in that quarter final, 29 in the world. So one of the, I think he's third seed, Benoit Paire. I've got him to to make it to that quarter final. And then I've got the same quarter final in uh, at the bottom of the draw, Dominic Kurt for the German. I'm, backing him to make the quarterfinal for the second week in a row. Didn't materialise last week, but I've got to have a bit of faith in him. He's only 26 years old. And he's a player that's shown some good form on a clay court in the last couple of years. And I've got him to face Christian Garin, which I'm excited for the return of the 24-year-old Chilean player, 22 in the world, and had a very impressive year last year. And I'm hoping he can really kick on from that just to let you know my final prediction. I know we, I spoke how rare it was last week that top seed Bautista Agut met second seed David Goffin in the final of Montpellier. But here I am going for Diego Schwartzman, the top seed, to beat the second seed Christian Garin in the final. Uh, I have got Christian Garin to beat Diego Schwartzman in the final. Sorry, did you just say you've got Schwartzman to beat Garin? Okay, that could be a, if that's the final that materialises, could be quite an interesting one in terms of how our picks go. But yeah, I've gone for Garin to win that match. Uh, this podcast has been a little bit longer than I thought it was going to be. So we'll move swiftly on uh, to guess the player. And after Marcus's calamity in the last episode, uh, failing to get top 10 player, uh, um, Diego Schwartzman, uh, he might have come up with a few minefields for me to maybe try and get some revenge, but uh, we'll see if my brain is in gear on this Monday morning. I don't think I've been too harsh um, on this Double one. Double bluff. Double bluff. <laughs> But no, there's some strong clues coming up. <clears throat> to begin, clue one. This player's best performance at Grand Slams is twice making the fourth round at Wimbledon in 2016 and 2018. Uh, so come to Borna Grass Court. Um, near to getting into the quarterfinals twice. Um, perhaps one of the sort of if he's only twice made the fourth round, I wouldn't probably think he's done it unseeded or maybe just about a sort of uh, 25 to 32 sort of seed. Um, so possibly one of those players that you sort of see often, well, not often, but getting into a fourth round and uh, not giving too much of a, a chance to when uh, they come up against the, the likes of a Djokovic or a Nadal. Um, 2016-18, Wimbledon, fourth round, um, quite a few players that it could be. I'll go for. I think we've had him. I'm not sure actually. I'll, I'll go for Dusan Lajevic. Interesting. Uh, it's not Dusan Lajevic. The second clue. Um, not sure this narrows it down too much, but this player has a career high ranking of 35. Yeah, it doesn't narrow it down too much. Probably whereabouts I was thinking. Um, the only reason why I said Dusan Lajevic, I remember him getting into uh, the fourth round. That was 2019, actually, though, uh, in the last Wimbledon. Uh, I 
think he beat Dan Evans quite late. Or oh, actually, no, I'm not even sure if that was Lajovic. I might be getting confused there. Anyway, uh, back on the task in hand. Career high 35, twice at fourth round Wimbledon, never further in a slam. Go for Jeremy Shardy. Well, probably been higher than 35, actually. But... Possibly, yeah, I'd think a little bit higher. But uh, no, not Jeremy Shardy. The third clue. In the current rankings, okay. this player is sandwiched between Vasek Pospisil and Gilles Simon. Okay. Again, that doesn't help too much, but it gives me... So I think Pospisil had quite a good year last year, but because of the new ranking system, he might not have progressed too much. Simon's always... I'm not great when it comes to that area of the rankings, but I'm going to assume it's sort of around the 40s, maybe, uh, 40s to 50s, possibly. Um, so again, doesn't help too much. Um We'll go for Jan Leonard Struff, although I think we've had him before. Yeah, you're thinking down the right line. I'd expect him to, maybe not the Wimbledon performances, but fit most of those categories. But it's not Jan Leonard Struff. Um, the fourth clue. Now, I actually discovered this when I was doing my notes so it's not necessarily something I know but if if you know this then you'll definitely get the player I just thought it was a very interesting to s- statistic this player has a 1-0 positive head-to-head record against Alexander Zverev and Novak Djokovic well I do know a player that has a 1-0 record against Djokovic they've done well at Wimbledon before but I don't know if they yeah is it Nick Kyrgios is that a final answer? Yeah. It's not Nick Kyrgios. Uh, okay. Fair enough. I, the, the clues fit because I think he has made Wimbledon fourth round once. I it's mean, definitely, definitely higher than 35 in the rankings. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, I know he's got a 1 0 record against Djokovic and he might well do against Zverev, but okay, fair enough. Um, this fifth clue is also quite specific. Um, maybe it's a it's one I remember more because I watched this match. This player has two ATP Tour career uh, career titles. The most recent one coming in the 2020 Pune Open. Well, I don't think it was called the Pune Open, but the the 250 event mm. in, in Pune. Is that my fifth clue? Yeah. God, dear, this is that's a harsh fifth clue. I know. Okay, I'll 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 give you a little hint because I don't want you going down the wrong trail. Okay. Um, where you were thinking with Pospisil and Simon being in the forties in the rankings is actually l- the late sixties. Oh wow! Um, okay. So yeah, that that. Um, I can't remember who lifted the Pune title in twenty twenty. Funnily enough, I really I I really don't know to be honest. Um, I'll go for I can't remember his first name. Uh, Pierre Hoogs Herbert. Good effort. That's a great stab in the dark, but it's not Pierre Hoogs Herbert. Okay. Uh, do you want one more? Yes, uh, please. I think that as a fifth clue is very harsh. Okay. Well, he beat Igor Garasimov in that final. Uh, so I think that might sum up the sort of it, it wasn't the most talent filled draw there in Pune. Oof. 
just off the top of my head, he uh, his one nil head to head record against Alexander Zverev came at Wimbledon in the first round. Oh, in the first round, Thomas Fabiano came into my head, but he's not ranked that high still, and he beat pass at Wimbledon, I believe. Uh, Fabiano, so, but I think it was the same year. They both went out quite early. Uh, it's the first round beating Zverev. I should know this. Uh, just give me a minute. Yeah, again, I don't think it's right, but I don't want to spend too long on this because I am actually pushed for time a little bit at the time of recording. Pablo Andahar? Not Pablo Andahar, I'm afraid, mate. Um, right. Yeah, fair enough. Admittedly, they were clues that, like, if you knew it, you'd get it, but quite, quite finite details. The answer is Yuri Vesely. Okay, yeah. I'll safe. I can safely say that I, I wouldn't have if I'd sat here thinking about it longer because I didn't put too much thought into my guesses. If but if I'd sat here thinking about it longer, I don't think I would have got it. Um, not really a player I know too much about Vesely, even though he's been around a little while now. Not one of the most exciting players in the top 100 by any stretch. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the guest of player of this episode. Yeah, if you were to get Yuri Vesely in a, a stab in the dark, that would be one one of the shouts of of this podcast so far. But um, yeah, well, yeah. we're not going to round the episode off talking about Yuri Vesely purely because I haven't got too much time. Uh, sorry, Yuri, but uh, that's just the way things are. Uh, okay, um, that's pretty much the end of this episode. A little bit longer, as I say, than I thought it was. Probably about an hour this episode. Um, but I hope you listen. Um, uh, I, I hope you enjoy uh, obviously you're listening if you can hear me I hope you enjoy uh, and we'll be back later this week to discuss uh, ahead of the latter rounds of Rotterdam and Buenos Aires um, either at the end of the week or the weekend uh, so yeah um, Marcus thank you very much for joining me no problem at all glad to get my excitement out ahead of this week um, yeah Rotterdam is a is a great lineup, and uh, yeah Gonna be gonna be a good one. Yeah, not to uh, shove off Buenos Aires too much, but I am much more excited about Rotterdam this week. And I didn't watch too much of the tennis last week, but I'm gonna be I'm planning on watching a lot of Rotterdam because, as I said earlier, it is a tournament I really enjoy. Uh, anyway, that is all we've got for you. Uh, enjoy the tennis this week, and remember to stay safe. And we'll see you in the next episode.